Hi, this is Donna Otto, and today we are finishing uh, 40 days of being together and talking about the preparation of Jesus Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection. And I'm so glad to have had this time with you. I know I often say this, but it is oh so true. And as I come to the end of this time of preparation, I always have a bit of sadness. I do. You know, for those of you who gave up something for Lent, like the year I gave up sugar in my coffee, the year I gave up coffee, um, I remember those events. And I was waiting for Easter morning because I was waiting to be over with this thing I gave up. Or I've added things to my schedule of... Um, disciplines with the Lord to increase my maturing in Him. And and then at the end of these 40 plus days, I am so grateful that it is now feels like a part of the warp and woof of who I am. But I'm always a little sad because the discipline seems for such a short time and so real to me, so personal to me, so maturing to me. Someone asked me a number of years ago, did I hear you say you look forward to the new disciplines of Lent? And I said, I'm sure I said that. I like I, When I hear someone echo it back, I think, yeah, that doesn't sound very, it uh, doesn't sound very human, does it? It sounds sort of inhumane. But the truth is, I don't look forward to it. I don't look forward to it. I look forward to the net results. I look forward to what I now know, because it has been a habit of mine for decades, that at the end of Lenten there is a refreshment, there is a renewal, there is a reminder of what Christ went through. And these statements particularly remind me of what he stood for. Each of these seven statements, which we've been talking about these last few weeks, and I'm going to read them to you today, each of them are reminders of a way of life that Christ lived and showed us. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's, that's how he looks at you and me, when we do things that are less than his best. And then he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I, I don't know. I think one or more of these, maybe it's seasonal, but this year that one has really been powerful to me. Here is a stranger. How do you feel about strangers? Well, right now in our culture, stranger danger is a real thing. How do you feel about strangers? Here's Jesus being crucified on the cross. You think he has another thing on his mind or two? And the criminal comes to recognize this, is the Messiah. Remember, there have not been uh, rallies and parties and celebrations celebrating that they have come to recognize that he is Messiah. That They have not been doing that. Those who came to recognize it did it quietly and privately and within the gatherings that Christ led and met. 
now he's on the cross and they've put across his cross, you know, the king of the Jews. And he says, we, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say you've been forgiven for your sins. He doesn't say, gosh, geez, why didn't you come to it sooner? He doesn't give him the four laws. He doesn't say anything. He has one concluding statement today, today, because you're going to die today and I'm going to paradise. I am going to be there. You're going to be there today. You'll be with me. And then he says, woman, behold thy son. What a tender son, mother, parent, child, best friend moment. John the beloved. John was the beloved. I, I can see a lot of reasons why John and Jesus were buddies or best buddies or BFFs because they were a lot alike. And and John's passion and his tenderness. When we read the Gospels, which some of us have been doing during the week of weeks, the Gospels that portray each day of Christ's last days on earth, we see the difference of John and what his contributions are and how if you look at those sheets, there are long passages where John doesn't say a word. He doesn't say anything about the fig tree. He doesn't say anything about the parables except in chapter 12. And, and so the other gospels are describing it being lawyer-like and doctor-like as the gospel writers are. Behold thy son, behold thy mother. And Jesus is making this transference to his beloved friend John. And then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We had a lengthy conversation about that a few days ago. If you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to listen to it. The word forsaken has many references. And there are many who, who do not believe that God could possibly have forsaken his son. I, I have to tell you that on days I think that's true. He could not possibly. He did not. But, but Jesus felt like he did. And, and then there's the truth of his saying it and pleading it. And, and I'm not scholar enough to tell you, but I do know this. In those moments, when you are in the thick of anything really hard, you feel forsaken. You feel left. You feel abandoned. You feel rejected. I have some of that in my history. And I, I, I sort of, my husband always says, okay, you can feel the fringes of rejection. That You can feel it before it actually happens. They're the fringes of it. I do. I, I'm sort of on the hunt for it. For a lot of years, I thought it was going to happen all the time, every time, because it had for so many young years of my life. And then it is finished. It is finished it is over. He has finished and completed the work. And today we look at this last statement, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Luke is the only writer who gives these seven words from the cross. He's the only writer. Again, I marvel at the difference in the gospel writers and love the opportunities to cross-reference them and look at them. I probably have mentioned this in the last few weeks. I'm going to mention it again. I'm actually thinking about taking it up again myself. I'm not committing to it yet. But if you read eight chapters of the gospel, starting in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every day in 30 days, you will have read all four of the gospels. And I did that for six months, many years ago, because someone recommended it. And it was very um, 
it embedded something different in my soul than I'd ever had before about the truths of the gospel. Remember that what we're talking about in the truths of the gospel is what Jesus did, and all he did was to show us and to teach us, and what he taught us, what he taught the disciples in hence teaching us. It's very hidden, really hidden, intentionally, about the work of the heart of Jesus. And in a few weeks, I'm going to talk a couple of times with you about what is the heart of Christ. What is What does his heart look like? There are very few places that describe it in the scripture. But there are many places through the gospel who tell us what to do and what not to do. We're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount um, before we take a break for our summer. These are all words of God to inform us and help us live our lives. In this study, I found so many truths about myself. When I'm ticked at someone like my husband, whose name is David, not Dave, I find myself calling him David, not just entering into conversation. As a mother, of course, we call our children, we are annoyed with them by their full name, Anissa, Lynn, Otto, get in here. You've all been there, you've all done that. If your parents, it, what is it saying? It's acknowledging the formality. So here's Jesus, Lord, God, Messiah, God, in perfection, and he calls his father God. God, God, why have you forsaken me? In the dark night of his life as a human, and then when it is finished, he says he is satisfied, and here I come, Lord. It is full of tranquility. It can be depicted as resignation. Into your hands I commend my spirit. What else am I going to do? But I don't feel that. I feel the sense of completion, the sense of finishing, the sense of a long-term process. You know, I believe that God is God. I believe that he knew very well there had to be a redemption plan to save us from what began in the garden. And so here it is. And we, we see it lived out in the life of Christ and in the New Testament. Sometimes I think about Stephen, Stephen who was stoned to death. It's an it's a, it's a astounding few verses when they are stoning Stephen for believing in Christ. And I, I don't know about you, but I wince with pain when I think of someone pinching me or punching me or throwing one stone at me. And now they were th all throwing stones at him until he died. He didn't make a word. He didn't wince. As a matter of fact, if the scripture tells us he is looking to heaven and saying that he is coming home. He's looking to heaven. I can't say the right phrase. Now I'm going to see if I can find it fast enough to say it to you. Jesus, Stephen is looking, and in the spirit he says, what is it that he says? Okay, I'm not going to take time to do that because I will really get distracted. I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Thank you, Lord. That is what Stephen is saying. He's being stoned to death, pummeled with rocks by many people for his love of Christ. He's looking up, and it says he doesn't wince or cry out. He says and said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. 
in the book, The Imitation of Christ, it's the first martyr after Christ, and he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and then finish with, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, as he looks up toward the sky. This photo frame is always a knee bender for me. I, I see it, I feel it, I experiment with it, and I wonder, I wonder if I could ever do that. I want you to know, though, that I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to be the woman who's being pummeled to death for the cause of Christ and is looking up and saying, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Well, a little history about this moment is Ezekiel is the first human to call Jesus the Son of Man. You know, bones rattle and flesh appear and the wind blows and the Spirit is present and is a source of life. And we receive that same Spirit the spirit that belonged to God. This is a great picture of letting go. He's commending his spirit. We all need to let go. As you know, I moved recently. I had to let go of a lot of stuff. I had to let go of a way of life. I didn't have to. It was a choice we made. I'm glad we made this choice. I'm glad we made it when we were strong and able to do it. But it, it's hard to let go of things that we love. It's hard to let go of invitations that I can no longer extend because we don't have a space and a place to do that. Uh, the hardest thing for me to let go of was we had a little cottage on our property where people could come and stay for a retreat and find quiet or they needed a place. Can't tell you how many in-laws or parents of children who were getting married who needed a place to stay and sort of get ready for their wedding day. And they stayed in our cottage. It was lovely, just lovely. And I don't have that anymore. I can't say, come and stay in my cottage while you get your kid married off. But I had to let go of that. And I, it reminds me of a friend um, who's even older than I am, and uh, my husband and I were having a conversation many years ago, and he said, I don't really, I'm not really ready to leave the earth. Everything's so good here. And even saying it, my, my heart is just wrenched with it, I think. Is that how we are getting? Do we love the earth so much and our stuff that we have forgotten that what we're doing here is just biding time, doing what Christ has called us to do while we're here. But the real kingdom of God, which began in us when we came to faith, will be when we are with him. Not the real, but the part of perfectionism and being with Jesus and it all being as the ultimate time in our lives. Jesus loved people and relationships, but he let them go. He loved things, and he let them go. Psalm 31.5 says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, my faithful God. Do you do that with some regularity? Do you commit your spirit? Do you recognize his redemption? Do you recognize that this is earth that we are just passing through on our way to being with Jesus, the Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity. The last seven statements going through this these last few days remind me of my deep desire to read and know the Psalms better. I was an anti-Psalmist for a lot of years of my life. They were awfully sad. And as my husband often says about 
the first time he and I had a conversation about melancholy, and I said, quote unquote, I don't know why anyone would be melancholy. It's so sad. And he just looked at me. I could still see his face thinking, oh my gosh, where does this woman come from? Outer space. The Lord has searched us and known us and what he did for my inward parts in creating me. These are words of faith and trust. If there had been a time in our world, not just Germany or England or Italy or China, but all over the world, if there has been ever a time in our world that we have seen God's creation and what the virus in a population can do. I don't, I don't begin to understand it. I begin to feel like it's ebbing its way out. It's easing up a little bit, but I don't think it's over. Uh, I don't know to believe or not to believe there'll be another one, but I do know that all of this is a part of each of our plans. All of this draws us into the recognition of his suffering, and we have our own suffering. So what is God doing? Is this instruction? Is this correction? What is he doing? He is trusting God for the promise the promise that he is committing and commending his spirit to God, and he knows exactly that this has been his life, his will accomplished, God's will accomplished in Jesus' life. We see Jesus placing his trust and faith in his Father, and he says, Father God, I commend my spirit. I give it up to you. I let it go. This is the end of this part of my sacrifice and suffering for the people of the world. In the incarnation, Jesus assumed the fullness of humanity. And on the cross, he commended it back to the Father. We are made whole, a perfect gift to the Father. A perfect gift to the Father. The cross, yes, it's a dark side but it is also the side of glory. It is also the place where Jesus is lifted up and glorified. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So we must go as the Son of Men. We are, as the Son of Man, we are men who are being called to let go to be reminded of what Christ has done, and so to be lifted up for eternal life, whoever will believe in the Messiah. Easter 2021. Thank you for being a part of this Easter with Modern Homemakers. Thank you for all that you do and continue to do to encourage us. We have a website out there. It sings and dances and offers many things. If you are listening to this message and have not read um, the Gospels, you can find that free resource on the week of weeks somewhere in our free resource session section. This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of understanding what it is to commend your spirit to the Father.